Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. want to welcome in Will Haskett. BGA Tour Radio. We're getting for, ready for a major over here. Uh, Will, welcome in, man. What do you think the chances are that my guy Rom Nation can uh, can go back-to-back in the majors here? What do you think John Rom wins this thing here? Boy, you're really going out on a limb there and taking the absolute best player in the world <laughs> to win a, a hard golf course on a, in a hard golf tournament. Uh, you know what? I think every year, whoever wins the Masters, you then start having the questions, like, can they win the next? Can they win a Grand Slam? You know, we make irresponsible sort of statements about what is possible for that one. And I think this week there's a lot more chatter about that happening because of who it is. Uh, this is a big, bold, bad golf course. Uh, I mean, bad in the, in the good sense, but it is, uh, it, I think it's, it sets up really well for a guy like John Rahm for a number of different reasons. So yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely on the short list of guys that I would like this week to win this golf tournament. Will, when you look at, the challenges that Oak Hill presents, what, what's the key to walking out of here in four days' time with a win in the PGA Championship and who is best equipped outside of, like you mentioned, the heavy favorites like Rom to take this thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a really long golf course. It is, you know, the rough is, is super thick and nasty. It's going to be really cold tomorrow morning for the guys that are out early. Uh, so I think, you know, the ball's not going to travel as much. I'm still sticking to my guns this week. I think that it's the, the elite drivers in the world, I think, have an advantage on this golf course. The fairways are super fast. I mean, balls are chasing out. So you've got some shorter hitters that are like, well, that's going to equal things out. And, but then the counter to that is, yeah, but the guy that hits it longer than you is still going to have the same amount of run out. So I still think this is the golf course that sets up to guys who are just absolute elite senders off the tee. So that, that's Rom, that's Scotty Scheffler. That's, you know, it isn't as much of a bomber's paradise as, say, like Wingfoot for the U.S. Open a couple of years ago when Bryson DeChambeau won. Like, that was about as extreme of an example of a golf course where literally just the longest guy in the field was going to have a massive advantage. It's not like that, but I still think off the tee plays. So, you know, again, most of the top players in the world are really elite drivers of the golf ball, but some guys are just a little bit better than others. And, look, the top two guys in the sport right now, are John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, and they both happen to be really, really good drivers of the golf ball. Now, there are a couple of really good drivers, too, that are you know, live golfers that we don't get to see as much of. So I'm a little bit bullish on Dustin Johnson, who won last week. I think Brooks Kepska's got that a good week and a good potential fit for him. But all those guys do something really well, and that is they can really move it off the tee. Will Haskett with us here, PGA Tour Radio. Will, who's the best golfer where this course does not set up well for him at all? Yeah, so I mean, it's the easy cop-out answer is Jordan Speed. You know, he's a little bit erratic off the tee, or it kind of always has been. He's a little bit longer in the last couple of years than even when he was at his peak in 2015. But the easy answer is because he's also battling a wrist injury that forced him to not play last week in Dallas. So that's a really simple one because I don't even really know how much he's going to test it this week to be able to do it. But I would have said that even if I thought he was at you know his strength. A guy like Cameron Smith, you know, who won – his first major last year and then went off to live. It wasn't playing his best off at the beginning of the year. And it seems to be rounding into a little bit of form. 
Um, I don't think this is a good golf course for him. He tends to be a little bit erratic off the tee and isn't one of the longer hitters. So those are just a couple of guys that you know kind of stand out to me. It's like this is not what I would consider to be the best fit for them in this particular major. Will, I, I know you get really hyped for this kind of thing, so I want to throw some names out at you, and I, and I want you to let me know if you think they have a chance to uh, do small for forward prospects for the number seven pick. Or are we still talking about golf? Here? No, 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 no. We're not talking about okay. uh, prospects okay. there. I, I promise you. Okay. okay, so so Jacksonville week one. Jacksonville week one. What are you feeling? Oh yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, by the way, Eddie, I want to say this. I, w- I want to apologize to the entire listenership about the schedule reveal last week. Um, I still don't think the actual concept of revealing a schedule is worth everybody getting fired up about. But there was so much good content. I thought the Jacksonville, the, the season is scripted vignette was awesome. Like that was just so entertaining to watch. So for that reason and that reason alone, I will apologize for being as much of a curmudgeon about NFL schedule release <laughs> on these airwaves. So many of them had really good content. Although I thought the Denver Broncos one was forced with Peyton. I was not entertained by that one. What did you think about the Titans one? Because our guy Eddie Garrison oh, so right here. It was great. Eddie Garrison was, was hating funny. on it. He was like, after they they got the first couple oh, wrong, I was over it. More and more. I just kept laughing as it got farther and farther. I mean, twice people confusing the Colts logo for the Dallas Cowboys, which I thought was <laughs> hysterical. Scripted. And, then, uh, and, and Jacksonville was like, that's not a real team. Like, I mean, that was, <laughs> that was absolutely it was absolutely perfect. I mean, that was awesome. And I like the Colts one, too. I mean, I laughed out loud a couple of times at just how much fun DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart were having just mowing down on an unbelievable amount of food. I actually don't know how they got through that schedule release. I do want to throw actual golfers at you, though. I decided we needed sure. to get to the schedule at some point uh, since we had you. So um, this, this is coming to us uh, from CBS's betting angle of, of sports line, just for the interest of, of parody. They highlight a couple of value golfers you could potentially get good juice on. They highlight uh, Patrick Cantlay, Jason Day, Tony Finau, Tyrell Hatton. Uh, varying odds there. You're always going to get high odds like you've stressed to us when betting golf and, and playing out the entirety of a four-day event. Uh, of those four, is there any value in your mind them being able to to win this thing i mean jason day won last week it was a great story and then he said in his press conference today that he's not he's not gonna play a single hole uh on this golf course he's gonna learn about it as he hits as he plays it because he's you know exhausted and physically his body just can't take it i it, to, that to me is kind of crazy um so after the emotional win of last week i think it's pretty easy to fade jason day this week the guy that stands out on that list and uh, to me is Tyrrell Hatton. He's been playing really great golf. Uh, he drives it so straight and it's plenty long enough that I really think that his accuracy combined with his length could be a great advantage for him this week. He can get a little bit hot uh, when things aren't going his way, which can be uh, entertaining to watch. But if you're a better on him, can be a little bit frustrating at times. But of the four that you mentioned, uh, he's on my short list of guys that I think could be a really high performer this week. Okay, I'm going to do a little football golf hybrid because we're starting to go down this road. So yeah, this will give the fans what they want. Prediction <laughs> time over here. Crystal ball time, Will Haskett. Which golfer do you think will be the Chiefs? of the PGA Championship this year, and which golfer do you see being the Bears this week over there at the PGA Championship? Uh, so, I mean, the Chiefs are just the the unstoppable object that's always there and, and never really falters, and that's, I mean, that's John Rahm. He's the number one player in the sport. You know, he's viable in every major. He doesn't really have a, a flaw or a weakness, and he's young enough, kind of like with Patrick Mahomes, that he's just going to be there for the foreseeable future. Like, he is inevitable. Um, so I think that would kind of be my comparison to the Chiefs. And then for the Bears, ugh, um, 
Wow. So, okay, so give me – What's the, what are, how are we defining the Bears? I was just like, thinking the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. So who do you think wins it? And the Bears had the worst record. So who do you think's in the, I don't know, on the short list to finish last? There are 20 PGA professionals here this week. Uh, you know, affectionately used to call them club pros that qualify in every year. They're sort of the feel-good story of the week. This is such a hard golf course. Those guys are going to get absolutely trampled. <laughs> so um, I feel bad for I mean, it's a great week. You know, the families are here. The clubs get to celebrate them. It's a huge part of the fabric of the history of this tournament. But, man, if, if one of them makes the cut, it is an absolute upset. Like, it is so hard on those guys. So that, that would be the worst record in the uh, NFL comparison is that you're going to see some guys at the bottom of this leaderboard who, you know, are going to go back and they're going to be merchandising in their pro shops and teaching lessons on the lesson tee. Um, and many of them might be doing that by Saturday if, when they don't make the cut on Friday. What's the read for Rory this week? That's a great question. Um, he, if you believe everything that he said, he's hit a little bit of a, a reset, you know, a mental refocus, if you will, after the Masters and, a little bit of a PR hit he took by, you know, then bailing on the RBC Heritage the following week, which he was sort of required to do in this new 2023 PGA Tour structure. Uh, I think the one thing, well, the two things that benefit him is that we're far enough removed from all of that that he's really not even considered the favorite. In fact, he's kind of tumbling down odds boards right now. I think he's getting the same odds as Shoffley and a few other guys that have kind of caught him on that one. So uh, beware of a Rory who's not really, you know, on the sp- in the spotlight as being a favorite. And the second part of that is the Masters presents an emotional, um, psychological battle for him because he wants it so bad to complete the career grand slam. And I had a colleague tell me this week that he says, I don't think Rory wins the Masters until he wins another major before it. He has to kind of go through that process. And so. I guess I could say I'm a little bit bullish on him for those factors because we've had a little bit of a recalibration, but um, we'll see. I mean, he could win by six and he could miss the cup by 10, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. Will, you're the man. We appreciate your time. Hope you enjoy the uh, PGA Championship this week, man. Yep. Thanks. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Will. All right. Thank you. There he is, Will Haskett, PGA Tour Radio. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Scott Agnes. Covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Um, you know, Scott, what did you think of, I just got such a kick out of it, out of Kevin Pritchard saying, you know, I, I don't know if this makes you feel better or not, but we missed <laughs> out by like one ping pong ball. I'm like, dude, that makes me feel so much worse right now. Uh, what was your reaction to the news of the Pacers being oh so close to landing the number one pick? Yeah, I, I appreciated it um, just because it provided context. And then he shared how he felt in that moment. His heart was racing. He was looking down frantically at the pieces of paper trying to make sure that, that, that what their combination was. And here's the reality. All that stuff would come out. It's all readily available because the NBA is trying to be full, fully transparent about the process and such. And, and in fact, last year I was in that drawing room and saw it firsthand. They, you can watch the draft lottery on YouTube. So you can see exactly what went down. So it's not like this would not have come to light. Here's the new bit of info we've learned since this morning, diving deeper into it. While the Pacers had one, they were one number away. 
the Washington Wizards were they had six numbers mm-hmm. that would have given them this pick. And let's take it one step further, Brian. There was a tiebreaker one month ago that had that had to be done to break a tiebreaker between the Pacers and the Wizards because they finished with the same record. So imagine if the Wizards had won the draft lottery, they would be able to draft Victor and the Pacers would not because they lost a tiebreaker. That would have been more maddening. Man. Scott, so, it, real go fast, ahead, Jimmy, ahead, it's like, how does that work where the final number is being drawn and you're talking about uh, like the Wizards have six possibilities? How does it actually work with the numbers that are drawn and how it's determined? Okay, so it's, it's a, kind of a complex process, but once you get it, you get it. There's 14 ping pong balls, all numbered 1 through 14. Three had already been drawn, so there's only 11 available. And each team has a certain number of four-digit combinations that are tied to their name. So making this up roughly, you know, uh, a team might have four, five, six, and 12 mm-hmm. that they are rooting for. So three numbers are off the table, and, and, and one more has to be drawn, and it could go to a number of different teams. Basically, you're looking for a four-digit combination. And, for example, the Pacers last night had 68 of 1,001 combinations that would have resulted in them being chosen. To kind of build off that question, Scott, and that's the similar line of thinking I was going off of, so there there could be a number of different teams that have three of the four right, which is Absolutely. how we had the instance yeah. yesterday where the Blazers were sharing a similar tale of being just one number off. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, like I said, the Wizards were sick. They had six possible uh, of the 11 ping pong balls inside there. The Pacers had one. Several other teams would have as well. It just goes to show how close they were yet at the same time they were still so far away too um but at least they had that chance and i think i think what kevin was trying to show was the high stakes of the game uh that in in this environment how it's totally the luck of the draw um and also how painfully close they were and you know in the the emotions the range of emotions that he was experiencing in that back room where you can't have technology he can't text his fellow front office people you're kind of sitting in it by yourself for about an hour and a half before we all see watch it on the espn broadcast so that's also what makes it even more challenging isn't that wild too that blows my mind for the last number the Wizards have six ping pong balls, and obviously the Spurs, who ended up with the number one pick, they had less than that. That's wild so, to me. So here, here's a simplistic way of trying to explain that. It's not that they had six ping pong balls. Okay. They had six numbers that would have completed a four-number combination. Okay. Otherwise, you're, otherwise, if you do explain it, it's not like they have logo balls inside there, and if it comes up Wizards, it's Wizards, and there's six of them in there. That's not at all the case. It's a one number that is a that helps complete that combination. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So when you're looking post-draft lottery now, and this is probably an easy question in regard to the path we're going to travel down with speculation for what the Pacers are going to do at seven, is the 
to borrow from Chris Ballard and, and on the NFL side of things, is the we love how things fell for us equivalent, the uh, you know shiny way to spin it that Kevin Pritchard mentioned yesterday of, well, mm-hmm. we really like being at seven. We're happy we didn't move down. Obviously, there's some truth to that, but, 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 but is that basically that same type of coach speak, general manager speak in terms of him not coming out and saying, man, I wish we would have won the thing? Yeah, and I love the fact that Brian and I were both laughing. I think we were waiting for you to say we like them picks. <laughs> That's at least where I was going after when you mentioned Chris Ballard. But, no, I think that was an honest assessment last night because the highest percentage of a result for the Pacers where they were slotted in seventh was to actually go back one spot to eighth and 35%. So if you just take statistically – they were expected to drop at least one spot. So that's why I, uh, I think they were content. They certainly weren't happy. Kevin certainly explained you know, how frustrated that was to be so close. But in all this, they also had to be happy as well, guys, is the fact because the Spurs finished ahead of the Rockets, the Pacers get that Rockets pick. That's the second no, number 32, the second pick of the second round. And we all know how well that worked out with Andrew Nemhart at 31 um, last year. So now moving forward, what you're going to see here is almost inevitably the Pacers will be dealers here. They won't make all those five picks. Kevin said that on the record officially even last night. But it, it all added up and made sense considering at this moment if they didn't make any deals, they would only have three roster spots available without making different moves. So I think it's for certain they'll take a high pick. There's a chance they could look to move up. That's something they'll consider if there's a guy worthwhile. But Right now, they're trying to evaluate now uh, exactly who falls within that that frame. Um, basically, what it is is that first tier is Victor. We all knew that. That second tier is Scoot Henderson uh, along uh, with Brandon Miller. And then there's that tier three really after that, I think, is what they're considering here. And you could go a number of ways. There's several point guards. There's several power forwards. And for the Pacers, obviously, several of those guys you really don't need. And, and if they're all about the same talent – you go towards towards that next guy. And so I think there's going to be three or four different guys that the Pacers can seriously consider, they'll talk to over the next couple of days here in Chicago, and then bring them in for pre-draft workouts. He's Scott Agnes, covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Looking at the number 7 overall pick, Scott, when you boil it down to a name, who's the name where you would say, this is best-case scenario within reason? Like, Wemby's not falling to number seven overall. We know that, right? But, yeah, no, he's like, spoiler alert. But uh, of, like, the best-case realistic scenarios, who's a name that you would say, man, today on May 17th, I would absolutely sign up for this guy becoming the next pacer? Yeah, to, to me, it's the two obvious uh, selections here it would be kind of filling that wing power forward spot with Cam Whitaker and Dracy Walker. Those are the two guys I'm looking forward to talking with today and learning more about their story and and where they believe they can immediately fit in. But both of those guys, you talk about athleticism, the numbers are there, the measurables are there, the length, the wingspan. Those are the kind of early indications that seem like they have pacers written all over them. Scott, the consensus, and you mentioned it a couple minutes ago, regarding the tiers of this class would indicate mm-hmm. that Wembenyama is, the, as we mentioned, the golden goose. He's been portrayed that way uh, for the better part of the last year and a half. And everybody else behind that could be high-level pros, but you know, you're know you going to have to wait and see. There's no locks or guarantees, even though there might not be a guarantee with Victor. But you get what I mean. This is a deep draft. With what the Pacers have of draft capital, 
and maybe this isn't even their desire, but would they be able to move up inside of the top five with the first round picks they have in their possession right now? I think so. And and really the better thing you're looking at right now is who would be a prime candidate to move out. And Portland's the one that makes a lot of sense because if they're not going to go all in on some kind of retool or rebuild, which doesn't at all seem to be the case because you got Damian Lillard. You're, you're certainly in a win now situation with him. And if they continue down that road, which we all expect, do they really want a, you know, a top four a top three pick here um, that, you know, might take two or three years to develop. So that seems the most likely candidate. Um, and also keep in mind Pacers uh, president and general manager, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, they come from Portland. So uh, good relationships with mm-hmm. the folks out there if they do try to strike a deal. But you talk about the Pacers draft capital now. Um, I, I, I absolutely you know, they're going to draft one pick high. But after that, in all, you got four in the top 32. You got three picks at about a, uh, a stretch of about uh, six picks there that could get really interesting. Plus, they own most of their draft assets moving forward. So it just depends on what the price becomes because we saw at the trade deadline some outrageous numbers. And most of this is due to the fact of last offseason, uh, the haul for Rudy Gobert. That's kind of inflated all the draft trades and and really kept some things from happening. Um, So I'll be curious to see what the cost might become for something like that because the Pacers certainly have the assets to move up if they believe that's the right move for them. When you look at like how you broke it down into tiers, you know, where you have Wemby top and then you have that next tier Mm -hmm. with Miller and Scoot right there, do you see it where the Pacers, it would make sense to – to pole vault up or move up from, say, seven to four, do you see a gap in terms of that next tier, whoever's at the top of it in tier three for you? To me, there's definitely a gap. What what we're trying to figure out here, I think myself and the teams included, is how wide of a gap is that? Is it that substantial where you're willing to cough up a couple additional draft picks? Maybe a future first next year uh, that's lottery protected or whatever the case may be. Right now, I just don't see it being that valuable because, like I said, it's kind of in that next tier of guys. Um, but I believe... I, I, I want to see how this thing plays out over the next month. I try to not jump ahead of that, but that's where I see it right now is where it would not make sense to move up to uh, four, for example. The ramification in terms of the state of the roster, did anything change in your mind with them knowing now that they're at seven in terms of you know the constant rumor mills of what are they going to do to try to find a wing? Are they going to keep Buddy healed here long term? Is he part of the future? Are they going to try to get even younger in some areas or add a vet? Does anything change from a ramification standpoint now that they know where they're picking? I think the biggest thing, Jimmy, is now you have clarity on your situation and you can you can start or even start discussing possible talks with other teams because you needed to know how where you were drafting and how high um, and and do you have that 32 pick or not because that's going to be very valuable being a second second round pick and it means it's not a guaranteed contract and you have the flexibility to negotiate um, a more team friendly type deal for a rookie uh, something that's favorable and something that teams are really attracted to those first you know five picks let's say, in the second round. Um, so more than anything, they gain a clarity on where they stand and now can kind of evaluate what possible trade packages could be um, leading up to the draft and more specifically, I think, come free agency because the Pacers only have three true free agents and none of them are key players. Two of them are just veteran influences and then the role player in O'Shea Brissett. So you, you, 
generally speaking, I'm kind of expecting them to package a couple of these draft picks and maybe a player or two. But it all comes down to what that other side has to offer and what they're demanding out there. And that's that's now where talks can begin because you know what they have to offer. How would you rate the reactions? Right. If you break down Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. how, how would you uh, how break it down with the disappointment there? And then also the Spurs representative who is basically doing Tiger Woods fist pumps and like Ric Flair woos right there. How would you break those down there? Yeah, that was fantastic, by the way, because it was quiet in the ballroom. So no matter where you were in the ballroom, you could hear him cry out in excitement, got up, that fist bump. That was fantastic. And to me, that's authentic. That's exactly what any one of us would have done if we were right there on stage. So I like to see that, though I did laugh back in the draft lottery room. As I said, we were able to watch that. You're, anybody can watch that video uh, back, and you saw their general manager stow it like didn't move you would have thought he was just sentenced to something like there was no reaction i was like come on man uh you know I, you could see some of his colleagues from other franchises kind of nudge him in a way of like darn you we wanted that type of thing um and tyree said he was he didn't know where the camera was um otherwise he would have smiled more he was having some conversations on the stage a little bit but he was a lot more reserved and quiet less smiley and outgoing than i think we're all used to but um the cool thing for Tyrese here was remember he was part of that 2020 draft class that experienced the most unusual draft experience they didn't have pre-draft workouts they didn't have a draft lottery in person they didn't have a draft in person so that's part of the reason Tyrese was so excited when Kevin Pritchard came to him at the end of the season and pitched this idea because he has never experienced some of this and and also he's a basketball geek a basketball nerd who just he says he's watched every single playoff game he's taken notes on what this Pacers team needs to consider for them to get in the playoffs because it also, as we're seeing, it's a very different game. It's slowed down. And so the biggest thing he's emphasized and to us and to, you know, his teammates and front office people in tax has been, um, yeah, we got to improve on our half court offense. We were the best team in transition and racing it up the floor, but the game slows down in the playoffs. We, we really need to improve on our uh, half court offense in addition to everything else, right? The defense is number one. Um, but I thought that was a, a big takeaway there. Uh, but more than anything, guys, Tyrese enjoyed this experience, had a brand-new suit. But otherwise, like Kevin Pritchard, no superstitions, no lucky charms. I was kind of disappointed. I am a little bit, too. I feel like they didn't pull out all the stops that they that they needed to uh, <laughs> for us. We were trying to hashtag uh, Wemby to Indy yesterday. That didn't, uh, didn't go like we wanted to. Um, but I wanted to ask you one more perspective question, Scott, because I know you mentioned you were there last year within the sequestered mm-hmm. room. And I was just trying to put myself, because they'd pan over camera-wise the footage they showed before the draw happened a couple times during the promos leading up to the actual lottery. If I was one of those general managers and, you know, whatever, you're done at 10 or 9 in that lottery combination process, you got to wait there an hour. Like, I imagine, like, from a just frustration standpoint, it's pretty palpable and you can't say anything <laughs> about it. You just got to stay there. What was that process like for you? And then how did that make it maybe easier or simpler for you to relate to Kevin Pritchard, who obviously has been through that before, but it's still never a sure. good feeling? Yeah, it was a fun eye-opening experience. And some might think, you know, seeing ping pong balls, balls selected, quite boring. No, not at all. I'm fascinated in general with processes. And so this was a fun process to observe. So, for me, for our group last year, it took about 12 minutes. That's it. This year, it took much longer because, get this, they had to go through seven different drawings 
um, because the Spurs won three different times, um, different numbers. So uh, they got the first three teams, then the Spurs won uh, for fourth. Well, obviously, you're not drafting first and fourth, so they had to do that again. So after about 16 minutes, then it's all done. And then you're still locked down, and you have about 90 minutes of time to kill. And this is one of the perks of actually being in the room, especially as a media member, is just you're, you're talking, you're networking, you're chatting. Maybe I'm, you know, I remember sitting there with a, a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings talking about uh, how they were rising up, how Demonis Sabonis was, uh, you know, you know, acquired there, and how much intrigue they had. He, they were asking me about him. Um, so it's a lot of just small talk with with executives with fellow media members in there and then one of the more fun parts as well is they have the espn broadcast up there so it's very i mean how rare is it for you to know everything how it's all about to go down and you know millions more watching on this tv screen they have no clue you know maybe people are fidgeting on tv or think they're the lucky charms yet you're in that room and you're like yeah it's already done you you can't impact it anyway (laughs) that was that was one of the more enjoyable things to to watch on the other side well, hey, Scott, appreciate you uh, dropping by here today, man. A lot of fun to talk about the process with you, and uh, we'll yeah. catch up with you soon, bud. You bet. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks All right. Scott. Thank you. There he is. Scott Agnes covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy, is that Aerosmith? Or is this Journey? It's his favorite band, Eddie. What kind of question is that? The amount of disrespect. Billy Eilish? Wow. Disrespectful. He would know if it's Montel Jordan. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I want to welcome in Frank Isola from ESPN, Sirius XM NBA Radio, Yes Network, joining us here on The Fan. Frank, so a little... Before we get to the lottery and hoops and all that good stuff, so we're giving away later on the station some Aerosmith tickets. And I asked my good friend Jimmy Cook, who I would never throw under the bus, I said, what's your favorite Aerosmith song? Mm. He hit me, Frank, with Don't Stop Believing." <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I heard you guys talk about that. That's a good, that's a journey song there, Bay Area. I think Aerosmith has either got Boston guys, I think Steven Tyler is actually from the New York area. And he's Italian. I think he went uh, politically correct and got rid of his Italian last name. So now I'm going to have now I'm gonna have East Coast ties and, and Italian ties after me now is what I'm understanding. Yeah. Oh. How big of an infraction is that, Frank, to say uh, Aerosmith and don't stop believing? What would you say that uh, is? I guess it depends on his age. That has something to do with it. Also, you have to remember... Don't Stop Believing, it was always a big song, and then it was immortalized by the last scene in The Sopranos. Remember when they go to the diner, yep. which was actually filmed about a mile and a half from my house. They filmed a really? ton of oh. uh, Soprano stuff there. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was always pretty cool. You'd see, you know, the trucks there. You'd see, uh, you know, some of the actors walking around. Then when the actors left, you'd see real mafia people walking around. So it's a lot of fun. It was like a little tour of... Uh, you know, old school, uh, you know, New Jersey. That's pretty cool, man. I, I got to know one of your favorite shows. I'm assuming The Sopranos would be on there. What would be ahead of that if there is such a thing? Yeah, I really did like uh, The Sopranos. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to go down this show and you're going to laugh at me. Comedies, I like um, The Office, but I got to be honest with you, on Netflix, and I liked um, 
Ozark, but the one that I really yeah. enjoyed yep. was The Crown. I thought The Crown was really good, or is really good. Because it's like a history lesson. This crazy stuff would happen, and then you'd go look it up, and sure enough, a lot of that, you know, you know whether it was this, that uh, thing that happened in Wales, it was like a mudslide, and all these people died. It was pretty... I thought uh, that was pretty fascinating. But The Soprano is different, but I really enjoyed The Soprano. That was good. I like it. I like it, Frank. Well, we got to talk some hoops with you because you're in the know here. Um, what do you think about Kevin Pritchard, the uh, the Pacers president? He was like, I don't know if this helps at all, but we were basically one number away from getting the number one overall pick. To me, that's way more crushing. I understand where he's coming from, but if you put yourself in the shoes of a Pacers fan, what would you think about the Pacers being literally one number away from getting the number one overall pick? No, you're sick to your stomach. So at one time, I was actually in the room where they draw the balls. I think it was the year that Carl Anthony Towns uh, went first. Przingis, it was like that was D'Angelo Russell, Kristaps Przingis, Julio Okafor. And when you're in the room, it's a little confusing because you do have, um, you know, one representative of each team. Sometimes it's actually two people as well. The PR person for the team sometimes is around. They actually cater a pretty nice meal as well. But, you know, they take your cell phone away this way. You can't, um, you know, reveal what the results are. But at one point, they put all the number combinations. They have, you know, these sheets of paper, and they put it up on a board. They also hand you a sheet. So when the first few numbers come up, you start scrambling, and it's it's hard to actually pay attention or figure out who's one away. So, but that happened when when I was there. In fact, I think when I was there, I think Minnesota might have won the first pick. Then they also got the second pick, which of course then they have to redraw. But I'm sure Kevin Pritchett was sick to his stomach because Victor Wembanyama. It looks like he has the chance to be a franchise changing player if he could stay healthy. You know, a lot of times those really really tall guys. You know, so they always, they always seem to have some type of uh, foot or leg injury. Let's hope that's not the case with Juan Benyama. Frank, how much hyperbole was Adrian Wojnarowski mm. using when he said a handful of times on last night's coverage that Wimbanyama might not just be the best NBA draft prospect ever, but the best in all of professional sports in terms of prospects? Well, I would only say to that, go um, Google how old uh, Killian Mbappe is. He scored two goals in a World Cup final. Yeah, mm. So I can guarantee you, in fact, when Benyama at a young age is not going to lead a, a team to a championship. And what's funny about this top prospect stuff of all time, I mean, think about, some, think about Bo Jackson when he was uh, coming out of college. The guy was a two-sport star. I mean, the guy was a complete stud. Deion Sanders was like that as well, two sports. Um, and then, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of Magic Johnson uh, scoring the 42 points in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. It was 42 years ago, so he was a rookie that year. He fills in for Kareem, who's sick, and doesn't play in the game. He ends up being the MVP of the NBA Finals. And 14 months earlier, he beat Larry Bird in Indiana State. So over a 14-month period, Magic Johnson won an NCAA championship and then was the Finals MVP in in his team winning a title. So I don't know how you can call Wen Benyama. I don't know how you can call him the best prospect in basketball because LeBron was Mm -hmm. pretty hyped and LeBron Mm -hmm. is kind of panned out. But certainly not in uh, all the sports. I'm sure Jim Brown was probably highly touted. He, he turned out to be a pretty good football player, too. He's Frank Isola joining us here on The Fan. What do you think would have been the best-case scenario, within reason, for the NBA? Like, which team, if they could have handpicked who gets the number 1 overall pick, who do you think they would have chosen? You know what? I think him going to – well, 
you don't want Dallas to win it because of the way Dallas handled the end of the season and some of the things that Mark Cuban is in that organization have they've done over the years. But it would have been Win Benyama with Luka Doncic, which wouldn't be the worst thing. I think for the NBA, the best case scenario though was the San Antonio Spurs because the Spurs have been at the forefront of recruiting and signing and drafting international players, number one. So there's a foundation already there. They've had incredible luck over the years. David Robinson, Tim Duncan, now they've been a born pick, and they'll take Victor Wembanyama. So the Spurs have a certain way of doing things. They've developed a lot of young uh, players. You're in a market where as even though he's going to be the number one overall pick and everything will be magnified, it's not like he's playing under a microscope in L.A., or New York, or Boston. So I think from that standpoint, and he, I had heard that the two places he wanted to go to was San Antonio, for obvious reasons, Tony Parker. In fact, Tony Parker posted a photo when Ren Benyama was a kid of him wearing a, a Tony Parker yeah. jersey. Yep. And I think the other team, believe it or not, would have been Charlotte, because Charlotte's a young team. They have LaMelo Ball there. I think there's a bunch of direct flights. I mean, you could say that, what's the big deal? But there are a bunch of direct flights from Paris, to Charlotte. So I think from a convenience standpoint, go to a team that's rebuilding. And I think he, he kind of got what he wanted. He wanted to go to say, I think that's one of the reasons he was legitimately excited. He knows he's going to be the first overall pick. So remember, remember when Zion got drafted by new Orleans and he kind of, you know, uh, he didn't seem entirely thrilled that he got drafted by new Orleans, not the case, or I should say that new Orleans won the uh, draft lottery. In this case, uh, Victor Wembanyama looked really thrilled that San Antonio got uh, won the number one pick. Frank, what's the thought around the league for how long Greg Popovich would hang around now as a head coach? I mean, he's, he's seventy four, but he, he still appears to be you know in peak condition to be an NBA coach. Does this change in terms of the outlook for how long you could see him on the bench? You know, it's funny because. Remember, for the longest time, there was this idea that once Tim Duncan is done, Greg Popovich will run it right off into the sunset with him. And that ended up not happening. You know, he likes working. And he's got a pretty good uh, deal. You know, Greg Popovich, if you go out to the Vegas Summer League over the summer, you never see him there. So he's one of these guys at such a high level that in the summer they give him off. I think he's got a place in Maine where he hangs out. And he enjoys it. I think he enjoys the traveling. You know, the league, for some reason – the Spurs, when they come to New York, they manage to be here for four days, even though they're only playing one game. So he gets kind of taken care of. He goes to his favorite restaurants. He drinks wine. So why wouldn't he stick around? If he enjoys it and he has the motivation, I don't think they're ever going to run him out of there and say, you know, enough is enough. But I, I could see maybe another three more years and try to usher this, you know, the San Antonio Spurs back to being a dominant NBA team again. Hey, Frank, how about the game last night where the Nuggets, they – held on they had this 21 point lead and LeBron had a chance to tie it up in the final minute anything that happened last night cause you to think of this series going forward any differently yeah old stack padding Nikola Jokic he did pretty well for him <laughs> he did yeah you know, the whole world, everyone now I love how everyone said you know he actually is pretty good yeah thank you there's a reason why he won two straight MVPs and easily could have won a third you know the Lakers are dangerous I you know I, I give LeBron a lot of credit he he definitely has his body in really good shape. As long as he could stay healthy, he's going to be your second-best player. That's the key. So going into uh, last night's game, he had scored 23 or fewer points in seven of the 12 games, seven of the 12 playoff games for the Lakers, and they were 5-2 and two in those games. So you've been waiting for, I'm sure LeBron is too, you know that he's always going to be one of the top players out on the court, but you need someone else to carry them. And really, it's been Anthony Davis 
for the longest time. And they did make that adjustment in the second half when they uh, put Rory Hachimura on Nikola Jokic, and they did a pretty good job. It freed up Anthony Davis. It's amazing. Like the Lakers, you, you know, you talk about catching breaks. They acquired Rory Hachimura, who's a really good player. They got him for Kendrick Nunn in three second-round draft picks. I, it's amazing how, like, I give, I give the Lakers a lot of credit. That was a really good trade they made. The guy was 8 for 11 last night. He seems to make every shot that he takes. So that's the one thing I think that the Lakers are kind of um, are optimistic about, that maybe they found something in the second half. I hope it's Denver. You know, they never, you know, they've never been to a finals. Just like in 2000 when Indiana made it. It was great. You get like a new team. Was it 2000? No, 2000 when they beat the Knicks. You know, it's, it's good to see different teams get in there, and I think it would be great if Nikola Jokic to make, can make it to an NBA Finals. You mentioned those second-half adjustments that the Lakers made and heavily involved there with Rui Hachimura and Nikola Jokic. Do you believe that, that there's been a corner turned there? And how much of this chess match between Malone and Hamlin is going to take place over the course of this series? How much do they matter to this? Yeah, and I think Darvin Ham did a really good job adjusting in-game. I think Michael Malone, you know, your team is up between 12 and 20 points, so are you really going to do anything drastic there to adjust? Now, you mentioned it before, LeBron missing you know that three that was a big moment but i think now that michael malone will have a day to look at the film i think they'll make their adjustments uh you know in between games one and two last night i mean i get it you could say well michael malone didn't do anything well he was winning most of the game darvin ham was the one that had to do something so i i would think uh you know michael malone's a pretty sharp guy he'll figure something out this might be a stupid question. I'm not sure because I know how great Jokic is, but are you surprised that Anthony Davis struggled the way he did guarding Jokic? Because he's a tremendous defender when he's locked in. Yeah, and I think, you know, but Jokic body is body type where he bangs into. I thought the killer for them early on was all the rebounds that Jokic was getting. Now, the defensive rebounds, that's, that's different because that's the Lakers missing shots. But he was really good. Uh, around the glass. But Davis has had a good playoffs. I've been really critical of him. You know, how many times it seems like, especially in the bubble, every game that they played, he, you know, he was on the ground grimacing where you think, wow, this might be it for him. This guy like might be seriously hurt. He does that way too much. During this playoffs, I mean, he was dominant against Memphis. He was really good against the Warriors. Last night he did have 40 points. That would be the one thing that would concern me with the Lakers. You did get 66 points from Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and you still lost the game. Is Jimmy Butler enough for Miami to get back to the finals? I don't think so. I thought going into the playoffs, that's even with Milwaukee, I thought the Miami Heat had the most talent. I'm sorry. I thought the Boston Celtics had the most talent. I still feel that way. They came really close to losing game six against the Philadelphia 76ers. Then all of a sudden, Jason Tatum bailed them out by scoring 12 points in the last four, 14 of that game. That was a huge performance by him. They have the best team. And you know, sometimes you worry because they have a new coach there, and I think the players are well, if we lose, everyone's going to blame the coach. I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. But you know, they were right there last year. They were up 2-1 on Golden State. They had a lead in the fourth quarter at home, and then Steph Curry went completely bonkers, and, you know, and he grabbed control of the series. So Boston was in great position last year to win a championship. This year, you know, I, I think they have the best chance. Obviously, Denver would be the second choice, and they're better than Miami. And last year they beat Miami, and that's Miami at home court. Miami had Tyler Hero, and I actually think you can make the case that Boston is better this year with uh, by adding your old pal Malcolm Brogdon. So I think it would be a huge disappointment if Boston can't get to an NBA Finals. Frank, you're the man. Really appreciate your time. 
And, uh, you know, when I listen to Aerosmith later on, whenever that happens to be, uh, I'll think of our conversation, including Don't Stop Believing, that, that famous I'll- Aerosmith tune. Yeah, I was going to say, as Steve Perry would say, don't stop believing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you later, Frank. Thank Have you, a Frank. good one, Bye, bud. Guys. Take care. You too. There Bye. he is, Frank, Frank Isola, member of ESPN's Around the Horn, PTI, host of the starting lineup on Sirius XM NBA Radio, also an analyst for the Nets on the Yes Network. 